0: Imagine with me, if you would, you're sitting on a front porch on a summer day, maybe like my grandmother's old front porch with the red swinging, or a red swing on the porch. And you're sitting there with your granddaddy. And imagine you're Winona Judd, and you say, Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Sometimes it feels like this world's gone crazy. Grandpa, take me back to yesterday when the line between wrong and right didn't seem so hazy. And imagine as you're sitting there, you break into a refrain like Winona did. Did lovers really fall in love to stay and stand beside each other come what may? Was a promise, really, something people kept, not just something they would say and then forget? Did families really bow their heads to pray? Did daddies really never go away? Oh, Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. I know we got a lot of Judds fans in here, and so you were tempted to sing right alongside with me. No, I think only Hutch and Brian Salter know that song. (laughs) But as you listen to its nostalgia, you hear a kind of pining, don't you? The kinds of things that you'd wonder about. Did daddies, was there a time when daddies didn't go away? Was there a time when people really made. Oaths to other people that they would keep till one of them died. Was there a time when people actually meant their promises and they prayed and things like that? There's a a longing within the, the wistfulness of the song that says, Surely there was a time. Now, Winona didn't write that song, but she makes an erroneous assumption that there was a good old days when such things happened. But I'm here to tell you And I look at my family tree, I think any kind of talk about the good old days is nostalgic amnesia. We are perennial malcontents who can think that the past was better or that the future might be, but the worst time to be in is the one now. We're looking today at a story... Or a discourse rather. Jesus is teaching and Jesus is being tested by some folks in the first century. And he's addressing the same kind of situation 2,000 years ago where a man could divorce his wife for any whole reason that he wanted to. She puts too much salt on your stew, she's out. Just make sure you give her a certificate of divorce. Now, the difference between that day and this is that now it's not just men that can divorce for any old reason they want. Women can do it too. Any kind of disaffectation, any kind of malaise, any kind of general reason that you wish, you can obliterate your marriage vows. Say, I was just kidding. I didn't know what I meant. I didn't realize the extent of what we were going for here. Jesus helps us see we're really, there really wasn't a good old days, except for this. One of the things that the Bible wants us to see when we think about Jesus is that Jesus, you know, was resurrected from the dead. And we're talking about this series of the Sermon on the Mount as a resurrection life. One of the things that the New Testament authors are often wanting to tell us is that when Jesus got up from the dead... You could think of him as the first of many who were going to do that very thing, get up from the dead. And you could think of him as the new Adam. Now, this is not some character from Big Bang Theory, A T O M. It's Adam, A D A M, referring back to the original creation. In fact, Jesus raising from the dead is said to have started off, to kicked off, commenced a new creation. And so Jesus is this new Adam who's reminding us of what the good old days actually were. They were pre-fall days. None of us have been around any of them, but He was. And He's here to tell us something about creational intent. He's here to tell us about the, the magnificence of what God intended when He called a man and a woman, to be married to each other permanently. Indissolubly. And we can be sure, as Dallas Willard said, and Dallas Willard passed away this week, it's a sad loss to the church. Dallas Willard said, if Jesus tells us something, we can be sure that it is true. And if there were a better way, He would have told us. And so we are people here like those sitting in the Sermon on the Mount who have adhered ourselves to Jesus' teaching, to His authority. And He has said, if you practice these words and teach these things, your life will be indestructible. If you do these things, your life will be like a sturdy building that can't be knocked down. No matter how torrential the rain pour, no matter how strong the winds. Jesus is reminding us of a time before the good old days that we might imagine, where God made something in such a way that He wants it to be embodied in this community in the new creation of which we are presently a part. And here is what He says. Moses permitted you... uh, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus, in these teachings, gives us a rule. He sets down something that he means to be lasting, formative, and shaping for us. And one of the things that G.K. Chesterton, this British writer in the 20th century, Notice, he said this, Christianity has established a rule and an order, and the chief aim of that order is to give room for good things to grow and run wild. It's very important to see that when God lays down a law, when God gives us a rule, when he in some way shapes the way we're supposed to think and the way we're supposed to live, it's always in order that good things might grow and run wild. It's always for the promotion of certain kinds of things and the discouragement of other kinds of things which kill what He intends. And so what is this rule that Jesus lays down as He was there at the creation of the world? What is this rule that He lays down in a world where it has become commonplace for men to be able to discard their wives if they want, so long as they give them a certificate of divorce? And Jesus says, here is the rule I lay down. It's the rule that's always been laid down. He says, if anyone divorces his wife, he must give her a certificate of divorce. You've heard that said. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying, I don't recognize divorce. That's one way of saying it. He's saying that in the way you're doing it, when you get divorced, the woman you divorce, she gets married to somebody, she's sleeping with someone who's not her husband because she's still married to you. In God's eyes, this union, when two become one, it's like super glue. Have you ever gotten your fingers stuck together with super glue? Like this? Like this? I have, probably you haven't because you know what you're doing. When you get your fingers stuck together with super glue, it almost seems like the only way to get them unstuck is to chop off your fingers. And I think it would be safe to say that part of what Jesus is saying is that God, when he brings two people together, whether they mean it or not in marriage, they've been superglued. And that to bust up the thing is something like an amputation. It's something like chopping off a part of them. And so most of the kinds of divorces that happen, well, they're not real divorces in God's eyes. He doesn't recognize the ending, the severing of the oneness. That's why he's saying, unless there's been some kind of marital unfaithfulness, the lady you sent out for divorce, she becomes an adulteress. Well, dang, that seems kind of harsh. Well, then you move over to Matthew 19, and they ask him the same question. They're trying to quiz him and test him to see where he stands on the Mosaic Law. So some Pharisees come to him, they test him. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? What are the escape hatches here? What are the loopholes? We're righteous men, right? If we... Divorce our wives. And here's what Jesus says. He doesn't enter into the discussion. He doesn't enter into the technicalities. He doesn't enter in really to the exceptions or to the reasons for it. He simply says this. Have you dudes ever read the beginning pages of the Hebrew Scriptures? You know, the things you have on your door frames and hanging off your face. Have you ever read the Bible? At the beginning when God... Spoke into being the marvels of this planet. When He made a man who was to image Him and took from Him a rib and called a woman into being, when He saw her first, He went, Whoa! And they became one, leaving their father and their mother. And God brought them together so that nobody should ever rip them apart. Jesus says, Don't you know that story? That's God's picture of marriage. When you ask me about divorce, I say, Here's God's picture of marriage. It's a oneness that can't be busted. Well, they test him further. Well, I, I, why di- then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus says, He. He didn't command it. He permitted it because you had a heart disease. Because you were all fouled up on the inside. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. He's saying the same thing he just said in Matthew 5. And so much do his disciples understand what he is saying. Here is their response. This is one of those nice times in the Bible where you can witness someone listening to Jesus and get a sense for, have I understood what he's saying? Because you get to hear them, seeing if they understood what he said. And here's what they said after they just heard his teaching about marriage. They walk away and they, Jesus, Jesus, can you, can, can you come over here? Uh, uh, I just hurt. We just heard you saying things. If what you're saying is true, none of us should get married ever. That was the conclusion they came to. Do you think they understood what he was saying? They said, if what you're saying is true, if you can't get out of this thing, we should never get into this thing. And Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 you sillies. I'm being metaphorical figurative I don't mean if you fall out of love I don't mean if you find somebody better I don't mean if you just feel as kind of malaise and your life's not going the way you want well you can get out of it then no he doesn't say any of that he doesn't even correct them when they say if this is the case it would be better for us not to marry and he says not everyone can accept this word in other words you guys you've been paying attention bravo but only to those whom it has been given. Those are the people that can accept it. Some were born eunuchs, and others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. This is one of those things where we can have some safety and some comfort because we watch the disciples interact with Jesus in His teaching and laying down the rule when He says, here's the vision of marriage. It's permanent, and you can't get out of it. And they say, Uh, it sounded like you just said it was permanent and you can't get out of it, so maybe we shouldn't get into it. And he says, right. Okay? So there's the rule. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Now, okay, he gives two little ways out. He says marital unfaithfulness. That breaks the bond. But even then, it doesn't mean you have to get out. It means you can get out. And then the Apostle Paul adds another one that the churches always embrace. If you're married to an unbeliever and they... Get out of Dodge. They split town. They leave. You don't have to chase them. If they take off, if they leave you, you're not bound, he says. You're free. You can remarry. So those are the two exceptions that the Bible gives us. Some kind of sexual irregularity in a marriage or somebody taking off. Otherwise, and it doesn't even spend much time on the exceptions. And if you're thinking about the exceptions, you probably should stop. Because Jesus' goal here is to say, look at the vision of this. Look what God was up to when He made this. So if I'm right in saying, I'm quoting Chesterton who says that God puts down a rule and an order, and the order is permanent marriage with no exception except for these two, which really don't describe most of the divorces that happen in our day, I don't think. this is the rule then what thing is God trying to discourage? And what thing is he trying to promote with this? What is he trying to let run wild? Well, let's look at what he's trying to discourage. He's trying to discourage cruelty. Marriage that severs is cruel. It's cruel to everybody. In the first century, what would happen if a man put a woman out and divorced her and gave a certificate so it was legal? We're righteous. We're doing it the right way. What would happen to you is it wasn't like today. You didn't have a way, a woman wouldn't have a way to make a living. If she were to get remarried, she would be damaged good. She wouldn't be treated very well. She might have to go live with her family, but only begrudgingly. She would likely become a prostitute. Her life, as she knew it, would be ended. And Jesus recognized that this practice of easy divorce was ruinous to women. It was cruel. It was just cruel. And now, flash forward 2,000 years when men and women can get married for, get divorced for any old reason they want. If you've been up close to one or you've lived in a house with one, I got to see three up close in my house growing up. You recognize that it is a, an unwitting kind of cruelty. It destroys everybody. It's like you think you're heading off to greener pastures, then suddenly you step on an IED and everything's blown to shreds. It ruins relationships and communities. It ruins children. It ruins the people who get divorced. They always think things are going to be better. Rarely they are. I heard recently about a story, maybe you heard it, about a woman who was out jogging and she was attacked by pit bulls. Killed by pit bulls. I've known in my life, maybe you have too, people who have been attacked, maimed by pit bulls. A little boy on my baseball team when I was growing up, a little girl down the street from us just a few years ago who went to school with the children. Attacked by a pit bull. And you know what it makes me think? I hate pit bulls. And maybe you've got one and you're one of those people who say, oh, they're kind, they're sweet, they're not. (laughs) And I think... And I like animals, okay. And I don't want any of them to hurt, but I want pit bulls to die. You know why? Do you know why? You know why I hate them? Because they cause harm to people. They destroy people. And so you want to know what Jesus is trying to do when he says, stick with your spouse. Don't promote divorce because divorce is cruel. It's another way of him saying what God said in Malachi. I hate divorce. That's God's official position on divorce. I hate it. I want it to die. He takes it so seriously. It's such a cruelty. It's such a a vandalism to his beautiful, good creation that he cannot tolerate it. The Israelites in Malachi are whining. They're complaining. They're saying, why does God not hear our sacrifices? Why does He not respond to us anymore? And God's answer is, this is because you're, you're discarding your wives. You're clothing yourself with violence. I hate divorce. That's what He's talking about, the violence to the women as being. Putting them out. And He hates it. God wants to discourage cruelty, so He discourages... Divorce, and says lifelong marriage. And think about this. Think about hearing someone say this. Julie Bumgarner recently wrote, I'll never forget the time I heard the 10-year-old boy say, why did my dad have to quit in the middle? Why did my dad have to quit in the middle? Some of you have known that feeling. A dad just quit in the middle. A mom just quit in the middle. People around you just quit in the middle. Did it make you a joyous, flourishing, healthy, whole person? Not generally. The social statistics on this are quite well pronounced. It's a cruel thing that destroys people. And God would discourage it. But if that's what he's going to discourage, what is he actually trying to promote? What is he actually trying to make run wild in saying, stick with your spouse? Fulfill the creational vision of what God has brought together. Let not man separate. Well, one thing of this is this, of course. It's in, in Malachi, he says, I want godly offspring. One of the things that God has done is He said, I want my people to populate the earth with little royal statues all over the place who breathe in mercy air. Who depict to the world what it's like to be governed by a good God who is their Father. I want families where children grow up knowing their parents aren't going anywhere. Who learn about The loyalty of my love for my people by seeing it in the demonstration of their parents' love for each other. The keeping of oaths. The keeping of commitments. These are where children, they grow up to be little image bearers reflecting and radiating the wonders of God out in the world. That's one of the things that God wants to promote. And you guys are doing well at that. Little people running all over the place. You know, one of the other things I think he wants to promote. If you think about it, the disciples saying, if this is the situation, it's better not to marry. And of course, the apostle Paul, when he says the same thing, don't separate from your spouse. If you do, you should remain unmarried or husband, you must not divorce your wife. At the end of his discussion on this, he says, here's why I'm telling you this stuff. Because marriage is awful dang hard. And I would spare you of this. So the Bible's way more honest about these things than most people are. And it's way more serious about these things than most people are. But if it's really this hard, then why don't they just stop the practice and say, everybody be celibate, everybody don't bother with anybody of the opposite sex, don't get married. Well, because God thinks this is good. And one of the things that happens, see, when Jesus... through whom the creation was made by the word of the Father. Marriage back then in the garden was a different kind of deal because it was two people who really wanted the best for each other. Two people who wanted what God wanted. So in that situation, you can imagine marriage might actually be a really wonderful thing all the time. Someone who's got your back, someone who's affirming, someone who's looking out for you. People who are walking and thriving in abundant life as God intended. But the moment that they started to sin, they set off a cataclysmic set of events that has affected everybody since. And now, the only kind of people who get married are bad ones. Now I'm talking about you and me. The only kind of people that get married now are people who are eaten up with a kind of allergy to God and a kind of preference for themselves. That's not all that could be said about them, but that's a truism. And so what undoubtedly happened, as Martin Luther said, ever since Adam and Eve took the apple and sinned and threw everything into chaos, Eve could say, why did you eat the apple? And Adam could say, why did you give it to me? And the blame shifting begins and carries on to marriages, even to present day. But if this is the case, if they're sinful people who get married together and it's awfully hard but they can't separate one thing god must be intent on teaching people is the value of reconciliation of course that's how you describe his whole ministry on the earth is reconciling the world to himself and in little microcosms before watching people and your children one of the best things that we teach our kids is about reconciliation c.s lewis captured this well in his story, A Horse and His Boy. At the end of the story, he talks about Erebus and Kor, these young man and woman, and he says, Erebus and Kor, I'm afraid, had many fights and many quarrels over the years, but they always made it up again. So that later, when they got older, they got married so as to keep on doing this more and more conveniently. Quarreling and then making it up again. And I have sometimes thought in my moments of despair what a wicked person I can be. How angry, how sullen, how selfish I can be in my home. I think some of the best things that my wife and I teach our children and some of the best things you teach your children is that sin doesn't end relationship. Anger doesn't end relationship. Selfishness doesn't end the relationship. One of the things that we teach them best, I think, is that we can argue with each other, we can yell each other, and then later we can kiss each other on the mouth. We can humble ourselves. We can say we're sorry. We give and receive grace from one another. I'm happy that my children get to grow up in a house where that is embodied. I'm happy that many of you are conducting houses like that. Reconciliation is something that must be be allowed to run wild. And it can only run wild in a home where everybody's decided, we're sticking this thing out. What's another thing God would aim to promote by making people stick together? Well, freedom. What? Freedom. Listen to what he says to the Pharisees. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Now, your hearts were hard. That's Jesus' assessment. And if you think about divorce as it often happens, have you ever heard anybody say, I'm thinking of leaving my husband because, well, my heart is hard. I'm just such a wicked person, and I prefer my own way to anybody else's way, and so I think I'm just going to do whatever I want. Is that how it usually goes down? I don't think so. If I met somebody like that, I might say, go ahead, because you're a space alien. Most people, so probably not a real human. But most people, when they want to get divorced, they say things like they, they're filled with blame for how the other person is failing them. They're not making life happen the way they want it to. Most people who are afflicted with hardness of heart, what happens is you start to be ruled by your own passions and your own desires. You assume you know more than God. You become tyrannized by your own self. And Jesus knows this is always a dreadful domestic policy to be tyrannized by yourself. You cannot live a fruitful life the way God intended if you were constantly ruled by your own desires. You can't. There are some of your desires that must be killed so that new ones can come to life. There are certain wishes you have for your life that the best thing that could happen for them is they would die so that you could find life. Jesus wants you to know freedom. So he prohibits you from giving into your hardness of heart, which is a big cause of divorce. So think about this. Think about someone coming up to you and saying, one of the best lies that Satan has ever perpetrated on any group of people ever They say, I'm not happy in my marriage. And my kids, well, my kids can't be happy if I'm not happy. I've got to leave my husband. We're a community that's trying to embrace what Jesus says. Jesus says, anyone who practices and teaches my commands will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who doesn't will be called least. We're a community that's hopefully breathing this air encouraging marriage. What do you say if somebody comes to you and says that? Do you say...